0: We can have everybody come back in, get settled for we're going to talk about now, after talking about understanding lifestyle change, if we could even understand it in one hour, that was uh, probably a misnomer. But now we're going to be talking about coaching lifestyle change. Both of these subjects that I'm addressing this afternoon could be entire week-long or month-long courses. There's a lot to unpack, so we're just trying to give you some basics to introduce you and hopefully whet your appetite to continue studying in these areas. I do want to mention that uh, Candy DeMauro, when she addresses starting a health ministry program and planning and organizing, you're going to hear about the stages of change again because it's going to come into play as we've already talked about in how we plan our programs and planning types of activities that are going to reach all the stages. So we're going to want awareness-building activities like a health expo, and we're going to want um, activities like our health programs that help people make the changes they need, and then we're going to want support programs to help with ongoing (coughs) follow-up. So she's going to talk to you about all of that. So coaching lifestyle change. Again, I'm going to skip over this overview and outline and objectives because you can read. But what do you think is the biggest predictor for whether people succeed in their wellness goals or not? What is, there's a lot of research on this. What do you think is the biggest predictor of whether people are successful in reaching their wellness goals? Support, Support, okay. How many want to go with her on support? Quite a few of you. Is there anybody else that has a different um, suggestion for what that might be? Relationships ties into support. Well, you guys hit it right on the head, or you read my notes, one or the other. So <laughs> um, there is a book out uh, well actually, let me tell you, in business settings, less than 10 percent of people who go to a classroom training event like this ever show any measurable change afterwards in their um, behavior. And isn't that awful? I wouldn't even laugh about that. It almost makes you want to cry. Why am I in health ministries? (laughs) Less than 10%, we don't want statistics like that, do we? We want to be better than that. But the biggest reason they've identified is no support system. They don't have a support system. There's no feedback or perspective. And coaching can do that. Coaching can provide that support and and provide a context where real change can occur, occur. Alan Duchman, I think that's how you might pronounce his name, sounds like a good German name, wrote a book that the title fascinated me and encouraged me to pick it up called Change or Die. I thought it was a good eye-catching title. And so I picked it up and started reading it and ended up taking it home. And after um, relating a number of different examples of change in research um, back, he's identified three keys to change that um, have a common theme throughout all of them. He said one of them is relate. You form a new emotional relationship with a person or community that inspires and sustains hope. Do people need hope? Absolutely. That's going to increase their confidence for sure and help move that contemplator to actually um, a preparation stage. The second key he's identified is repeat. The new relationship helps you learn, practice, and master new habits and skills that you'll need. There's definitely a lot of new habits and skills whenever we're talking about a, a new behavior and that might have to be practiced and repeated. And then reframe. The new relationship helps you learn new ways of thinking about your situation and your life. We, um, I, I say that 90% of change happens between our two ears. Thinking is a big part of what can... Per- um, catapult us towards change or maybe even get in the way and prevent us from change. So this new relationship helps you learn new ways of thinking. What is the commonality between those three keys that he identified? I made it easy for you. That's in red. Relationship. Absolutely, relationship. A traditional approach that we've used in health ministry and in, in an educational approach overall is um, typically information-based. We, we lecture people. It's problem-focused. You know, maybe we're going to address reversing heart disease or um, diabetes or addressing hypertension, but usually it's uh, often it's problem-focused. We offer cookie-cutter solutions. We follow these guidelines. We will improve our high blood pressure. And then it's short-term. There's no support after this class is over. Now, I'm not going to bash traditional approach. We need educational programs, and we have a lot of wonderful programs in our church. I believe God has blessed our church incredibly. And in my work in churches of other faiths, um, they are often just so excited about the wealth of material that we have available to share. But I believe that a coaching approach can offer something that complements that and can help people be much more apt to change. So a coaching approach, instead of just information, it's going to be relational in its approach. Remember, the things that most deeply change us have to do with an experience or a relationship, not just information. And so we're offering this relationship. Yes, sir? Should it it really be information plus relationship? Information what? Plus. Plus. Yeah, that's true, instead of checked out. I'm just kind of showing the... A difference, but you're right. I'm not. We do need information, so I'm not saying to negate that. Good point. Um, If you think of it, it's the way God works. When He came down to create, uh, create us, He fashioned man out of the ground, the dust of the ground, and He breathed into him the breath of life. He is. He got personal. He he got his hands involved into it, and that's the way we need to be too. Is uh, make it personal and create that relationship, having a relational approach. Another reason why a coaching approach uh, works and is helpful in helping people change is because it's focused on positive change and growth. It's not just focused on um, a problem-style approach. Now, problem-solving can work, uh, but n- not to the extent that um, moving a f- the, a forward action can, um, getting people moving forward. This utilizes questions. It helps people think a little bit more differently. It helps dig into what their values are and connect them with that. It connects them with where they really want to go. helps identify their strengths that they can bring to this change process. uh, It conveys a belief in, in that individual that they can change. And I think that's powerful. It's not a cookie cutter approach, it's individualized. Uh, a, a coach collaborates with the person that they're working with to help them design a program that it fits them, fits their stage of change that they're at, some of the, um, the tasks that they, they need to um, take, but it's also going to help them set some realistic goals that fit the situation that, that they're in in life, the resources that they have, their personality style, um, their their obstacles that they're facing. It's going to be very customized to them. It offers long-term support. That's the piece that we're saying is missing in um, a lot of um, long-term change and being able to maintain that change is the lack of support and coaching does that. It provides support long after your program is over. It provides support. Research has found that more people fail in weight loss because of a lack of a good support system than because of a poor weight loss plan. So coaching provides that long-term relationship. I like to, uh, when we think about um, giving information versus coaching, I like to liken the difference between being a travel agent or a tour guide. A travel agent provides information, valuable information about where we're going, offers us even suggestions on where we could go and gives us brochures. They may book our tickets for us and they may um, exchange money and any number of helpful things for us. But in the end, they're just bidding us have a good trip, aren't they? The, tra- the tour guide, on the other hand, goes with us on this journey and helps us to see the, the, the place where we're going through different eyes because they've been there before and they know the people and they know the language. And their excitement for that place helps us come away from, from that trip with a much richer experience than we would have had on our own. Yeah, they provide information too. Yeah, it's a different kind of information. Okay, and finally, I think the most important reason that coaching is powerful and um, can help in moving people along this continuum of change is because it emulates many of the values and methods that Jesus used when he was here on earth. When he, uh, we're told, and Katja read this quote, and you, you all know it anyway, um, in Ministry of Healing, page 143, Christ's Method Alone, will give true success in reaching the people. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then he bade them, what? Follow me. And so it was Jesus' conversations with people. Yes, he preached Sermon on the Mount. And yes, he taught in the synagogue. But most of the gospel is um, the record of all these conversations and encounters he had with people. And where he would ask questions, powerful questions, that might have um, opened up an awareness in their thinking or um, connected them with something that was really important to them, got them thinking a little bit differently. And so coaching is very, uh, very much a biblical approach that that and that's why it's most powerful. Coaching works, it and research is, is growing with coaching. It's a relatively um, new method being used, and so um, this. The body of uh, coaching research has, um, just in the last um, two years, has um, grown considerably. I'm going to go through these rather quickly because you've got the slides and you can read about them. And and if you um, can't read the references, contact me later and I'll get them for you. But there's uh, research that has shown um, effectiveness in coaching people with diabetes in cardiovascular risk in asthma, um, coaching parents with asthma children and decreased hospitalizations, coaching people with cancer improved outcomes, coaching people with poorly controlled pain, and coaching people with obesity. The conclusions from the research in the medical literature is that coaching uh, um, is effective at improving health outcomes in all of those areas. And what I thought it was interesting too that um, coaching combined with whenever they had coaching plus, not just coaching alone, but plus a comprehensive uh, program that involved education and group sessions and fitness programs, they also had significant results. That reminded me of our health programs at our church because many of our programs are very comprehensive in what they offer. Some of the common threads that I found in all of these research studies as I kind of looked at them all is that they included that one-on-one relationship. And that was what we've already identified is key for helping people change. They also included goal setting and commitment, um, individualized helping them helping the people set goals, and um, helping them to um, increase the motivation and confidence to where they are willing to commit to reaching those goals. There was accountability, and then there was also live sessions. It was personal; it wasn't just online or reading material. So coaching does work, and I want to share with you a little video that just kind of helps you see um, in a fun animated uh, vignette what coaching is, and then we'll explore a little bit about um, that approach and and how you can begin using it. Oops. Okay. Let's see if this can work. All right. So what stood out for you in that little coaching um, vignette? What did you observe about that um, interaction between the person that was coached and the person that was doing the coaching? They worked as a team. Okay, there was a partnership. She can't. All right. What else? I hear somebody. That's okay. Okay, he was listening to him, all right. And what types of things that um, was he listening to? Okay, very attentive to what is, where, where he was at and what he was facing. Listened to him at the beginning when they sat at the table and he described the challenge he was, he was facing. What else did he describe? Um, where he wanted to go, so he was listening. Good, yes, Rick. Good point, but who did the work? The person that wanted to get from A to B, he was doing the work. The coach didn't, didn't even give him a set of directions, did he? He, had, he um, created his own. Yes, ma'am. He asked, he asked questions. Provided resources and that safety net. Don't we all think we could use a safety net from time to time in our life? Yeah. Okay. Do you like that little toolbox he carried? And we, would have been, we would even want to have drawn the extra steps in that he had him draw Yes, yeah, he drew, the plan that the, he created at first had steps that were too big and he fell. And so he had him draw in the extra steps. Good point, the smaller steps that he needed to take, yeah. Anything else that you noticed? He was with him at the end. So really he was with him all the way from the very beginning all the way through to the end. Good. Yes. It's on YouTube. It's uh, produced by Well Coaches and it's on YouTube. I think it's called How Coaching Works or Why Coaching Works, something like that. Yeah. So So if you had been that person being coached, what effect do you think Um, would the coaching approach have had on your ability to get to your destination? Might have made a big difference, huh? And that's what we're going to be providing when we um, provide coaching in our health programs. Not just providing information. I have found with the people I work with, most often they don't need any more information. We're not where we're at in America for lack of information, most of us. We, we know what to do, and often we know how to do it. But the challenge comes in actually making that fit our busy lifestyle, and wrestling with maybe some of the the other obstacles or negative thinking patterns that have developed in actually um, carrying that out. I'd like to challenge that. Maybe in the Athens community, that's the case but with, the, with the population that I serve. It's absolutely not true. That's true, if you take someone off the street. If you're working in a health ministry program and they've already heard your program, they've been to your CHIP or they've been to, how can we help them be successful in the long run? And that's through incorporating, integrating a coaching approach with the information that we're giving. Yes, yes, yeah. Good, thank you for bringing that out. You're right, Um, there is a a lot of work to be done. I do work in downtown Chattanooga myself, so I understand the underserved populations and their lack of information. All right, um, we're going to look at a couple of the toolboxes and skills that a coach brings to a coaching relationship. Very, um, It was very hard to identify just a few of the most important ones because there's whole long courses in coaching to help you be able to... Um, Develop the mindset and the abilities and skills needed to be able to help someone along, but you can boil them down to a few of the most um, important. And the first one is listening. Now, I'd like to do a little um, activity with you. If you could turn over the back side of your page that may not have any writing on it, as as your page is double sided. Good. All right, the back side that's blank, and we're going to write out the words to John 3:16. That's a verse that you all have probably known from your youth. Don't start writing. You can get your paper ready. You can get your pen ready, but nobody start writing. And what we're going to do is write it out while, at the same time, you are singing. I'm not doing a solo up here. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing "Amazing Grace," and then uh, you can write out the words of John 3:16 at the same time. Does that make sense? What I'm asking you to do? All right. You everybody ready? Let's get started. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Okay, stop writing. So... How did you do? How many people got all the way to the end? Did you make it all the way to get your whole verse written out? You got close to it. Were you singing? Yeah. <laughs> I find that very few people get it, are able to do it. Those that do probably, uh, whenever we hold out a word, word in the song, quickly write <laughs> But most of us aren't able to do that very well. We're not able to, what? We didn't sing all the verses. That would have helped, yeah. There are some things that we can multitask at. I can talk while I'm driving a car. In fact, people do very interesting things while they're driving cars. They put on makeup or eat or whatever. Um, But it's tough for our brains to do two different things with words at the same time, which that was a good illustration of. And maybe you've tried to write something down before found that you were writing what you were hearing versus, instead of writing what you wanted to write. There's just a lot of other um, things going on in our brain at the same time, and so we get distracted with, um, our, when our brain tries to do two things with words. This is the challenge. If I asked you to relate to me um, one of the stories that Pastor Finley shared this morning, you probably would not be able to give me all the details of that story. Or the story that the woman told of her cancer. Um, I can't remember her name, but the one that was just so positive it is now in medical school. Probably a number of the details slipped us. Why is that? Because our brain can, the average person speaks at a words of 200 to 250 words per minute. And if you're from the South, it might be 150 words a minute. And if you're from Brooklyn or somewhere where they talk faster or Spanish people, they are known for speaking fast. It might be even a little faster than that. But what's interesting is while the person in front of us that's speaking to us is speaking at a rate of 200 and 250 words a minute, our brain is processing words at how fast? 700 words per minute. Okay, therein lies a problem, doesn't it? Because our brain is now left to fill in the spaces and we can process our own thoughts even faster at the rate of 800 to 1,000 words per minute. So what are some of the things that we might be thinking about? We might be jumping to the end of their story. We've got it all figured out. Get, we might be thinking of a solution. We might have been reminded of an experience we had in our story. We might be thinking about, it's awfully noisy in here. Those people over there are, are, are too t- loud, or it's cold in here. Or I wonder if I remember to pack my curling iron, or uh, you know it could be any number of things that our brain can filter and fire rapidly and keep up with while somebody's talking. But as we saw, it really doesn't do a good job of it. We're not able to do two things with words at the same time, and that's a fundamental problem with um, with listening and listening well, really connecting with someone and being there. Um, catching, <coughs> giving our full attention to the conversation. Yes, ma'am. That's part of it. You're tr- if, you're trying, if you're focused, you might be trying to formulate a response, or your mind could be distracted on any number of things. But that's often a big one. You're formulating a response, or you're thinking of the solution or the advice you want to give, that, that is a big one. So, some ways that we can um, help turn down that mental clutter, and that is in giving our full and undivided attention to what the other person is saying, is to ask yourself, whose thinking matters most right now? Whose thinking matters most? Is it mine or is it theirs? Albert Einstein said, you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. I love that quote because it reminds me that they need to think differently in order to solve their problem. Most people are not going to um, accept the insights of someone else as, much as, as readily as they would accept their own insights and act on them. So to get them thinking a little differently and get them coming up with their insights and ideas, they're going to be much more active in acting on those and moving forward. So stopping my thoughts and say, who's thinking matters most right now? Sometimes one thing we can do is to actually repeat in our mind what we hear them saying because our, it won't slow us down since our brain processes twice as fast, but it keeps us on the same subject line. It keeps us still focused and connected to their story and what they're saying. Another uh, key listening skill is listening with curiosity, listening with curiosity. Um, we got to be careful here because that doesn't mean the same thing as asking questions so much. but. Um, Listening in such a way that um, we're not listening for something. We, a lot of us are trained, um, medical professionals, especially lawyers. We're used to um, listening for something, right? so we can be able to diagnose or come to a conclusion. And that's what we won't want to do because then everything they say is filtered through this framework that we have in our brain, and that's all we're listening to. So listen with curiosity um, to really understand them, to explore where they're coming from and and ask questions in a way that help them to continue sharing. That's really listening, to learn and understand the other person, not to figure out their problem for them, to just listen. Very often they will tell you the answer. They just needed somebody to listen long enough so that they can verbalize and process uh, those thoughts that are in their heads. A little louder, please. Coach, who, do you to be a coach? who do you perceive to be a coach? I think we can all be coaches. It's an approach we can all use. We're, use, we're using it right now in the context of health ministry, but these skills are very basic, and, and we can use that in our conversations at home with our teenage children our, in health ministry. Health ministry. Your health ministry team. Your um, as that grows, and Candy's going to be talking about building a health ministry team. And you're not working solo, but so that member, our members, just provide this ongoing personal support to the people that are in our programs. Um, I, ideally, I think it would be really cool if we all had the, the qualities and mindset and skills of a coach and it was the way we related with each other. So mm-hmm. Oh, well, no, I see what you're saying. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it can be one-to-one or it can be um, in a group. You can use the same skills in a group setting. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways it can be used. Okay, um, so training ourselves to think of their ideas as more valuable than our ideas. For them, they will be. They will be. So you want to exhaust their resources, um, get them telling you more. I will often say, tell me more about that, or um, talk to me about what you just said. Um, What else? Just to get them continuing to process out loud. Listening reflectively is another key listening skill, and there's um, so many different ways of offering reflections, but basically we are mirroring back what they just said to check our clarification and also help them even um, clarify what they were saying. So, um, you just mentioned this, am I hearing you say that, or what I'm understanding you to say is this, and just kind of summarizing or recapping, not adding anything to it, but holding it up for them. And it helps them sort out their thoughts, oh no, I didn't mean that at all, and then they'll rephrase. And maybe it helps me sort out my thoughts, too, that I really didn't catch what they said at all. I totally missed it, and so I needed them to uh, clarify for me and make sure we're on the same page. The second coaching skill, besides listening, I think listening is one of the most important gifts that we can give to someone else when we're talking with them uh, in a conversation or coaching them. The second gift or skill that we give is inquiry, asking a good question. This um, art of asking questions, and I call it an art, is one that Jesus was a master at. Can you think of some questions Jesus asked? Do Who do you say that I am? Hast thou not read? Hast thou not read? Okay. What else? There are a lot of questions. That could be a great Bible study. It's just the questions that Jesus asked. Where are you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be healed? And that seemed like a crazy question to ask, because the man had been laying by the pool for 38 years. But that question was powerful, and it helped transform his thinking. And the man actually was empowered to get up and take up his mat—the very same thing he said that he couldn't do just a verse or two ahead of time. So it was very transformational that question. What do you hear? What do you hear? Oh, okay. What do you hear? That, who do you, that? People are saying that I am. Number of questions, very powerful. A good question helps people to take responsibility for change, to move from being reactive to proactive. It can clarify what it is they really want to do, where they really want to go. Sometimes they know that they should be exercising more, but they really haven't taken the time to, to, to um, sort out why they would want to exercise more, what it would do for them, and where they want, where they see themselves in the future with regards to a healthy um, uh, life. Helps them connect to their motivation for change, that why, that deeper why that is so important to have. Um, helps them to identify and solve their own <coughs> problems. Do the thinking part of change and um, move from talking to taking action. What you want to be aware of with inquiry, with asking questions is beware of closed questions. Closed questions are the type of question that you answer with a yes or a no or a specific answer. It doesn't leave any room for discussion. It also is more directive. We're directing the discussion down the path that we think it needs to go rather than allowing them to direct the conversation. So it, it shuts down conversation and it's more directive. We want to offer Open questions that maybe start with the word what or how. Those are a little more open. And exploratory questions, just to kind of that, that listening with curiosity and, and um, exploring, helping them to explore a little further their thoughts on, the, on where they're talking about. A big one is solution-oriented questions. This is advice giving in disguise. If you um, look at the example there, the advice is underlined. We had it all figured out. And so instead of giving advice, we think, okay, well, I put it in the form of a question. That's not helpful either. So what we want to do instead is go back in our mind to what was it that they said that gave us that idea and then ask about that instead. Um, for example, you mentioned that you really um, enjoy exercising with other people. What are some ways you can do that? You can exercise and still um, fit the this, this social uh, need that you have. So that way it's more open than just saying, could you exercise with your spouse? The answer is right in there. You also don't want to ask questions in a way that um, are, you're trying to lead them to a solution you've already figured out. People can tell when they're when you're doing that and they get frustrated because they're not coming up with the answer you want them to have. So you don't want to do that. Keep it open. Let them come up with their own solutions. If if they are really can't come up with any, they're stuck, because some people who get to that point, they don't know, is brainstorm together. What could you do? Let's, let's just put a whole bunch of things on the table. We don't have to sort them out or evaluate them. Let's put some things on the table. Maybe even throw out one or two to prime the pump, but be tentative about it. Um, offer it as a possible thing that they could do. They could do what they, what they want to, but I'm gonna just put the first one on the table and then you, you take it from there, so we're not imposing. Three simple rules. You don't want to give advice. Um, Very often when people come to us with a problem, they they already have the answer. They just might need it. um, They might need to help discovering that answer. They'll come up with a very workable solution that you wouldn't have come up with at all on your own. Don't tell people something they can discover on their own, and don't fix the problem for them. If you do need to um, give information to people, then do it in a way that offers, that, that hands it back to them and gives them the responsibility for what they're going to do with that information. So what you'll do is, first of all, to ask yourself, um, is this information what they need right now? And if it is, then share, ask if you can share. Do you mind if I share with you a different perspective or can, may I share with you something that has worked for some other people? And then after you share it, then hand it back to them and say, what's your thinking of what I just talked about? So it's up to them with what what they want to do about it and keeps them in the driver's seat. Yes, ma'am. That's asking them questions in a way that helps them to be able to to come up with a workable solution. What things have worked for you in the past? Maybe even a totally different area of life. I had a person I was working with that was struggling with exercise, over and over we had conversations. She had little kids, was very, having a challenge getting her exercise in. And then one time I talked to her and she had had a huge birthday party that she had planned for her one-year-old. Big birthday party with clowns and catered people and uh, her husband's uh, work was all there and it was a, a big event, uh, not just like a little birthday cake. And so I was just blown away how she was able to accomplish that. And so I said, what, what did you, what, how did you accomplish that? What did you, were you able to do to be able to pull that birthday party off? And so she started listing some things. And then I asked, what of those strategies could you pull from and apply to exercise? Is there a connection there? And she just lit up and then she started coming up with a solution on her own. So just asking questions to help them, maybe previous successes, what strengths they have, what have they seen others do that worked? Uh, basically helping them discover instead of you telling them is going to make a difference. When somebody tells you what to do, what's your reaction generally? We don't want to do that, do what we're told. We never grew up, I guess. Um, but if I come up with an idea myself, I get excited about it and, more, and I'm more apt to do it. So that's, that's the point I'm making there with don't tell something, someone something they can discover on their own. These, uh, we already addressed follow-up questions. Coaching skill number three is goal-setting, goal-setting. We make plans for a lot of things in life. We make plans academically when we are trying to pursue a degree. We make plans for our retirement and our investment account, Um, career-wise. There's just, we make plans when we're going to do health ministry events or plan a big birthday party. But what we often don't do is take that same concept of planning and those same skills and apply them to our wellness and wanting to make a change, behavior change. And so one thing a a coach can do is help them. Like our little coaching vignette, it started with a vision of where they wanted to go and then it broke it down into steps and action steps. So we want to help them with goals. Goals um, are best if they're behavioral goals, not outcome goals. What would the difference be? What's the difference in a behavior and an outcome? Okay, so behavior is something you're doing, an outcome is the result. Why do you think it would be, a, it, what would the difference be if you had the mindset difference if you had a, a, an outcome goal versus a behavioral goal? Yeah. Well, if you achieve your outcome you to Okay. You so your outcome uh, has an end. end. Okay. That's good. A good, good point. Could be and a behavior could be lifelong. Excellent. Did you have something to add to that? Yeah, something like Okay, so it could be temporary. Um, The other thing about a behavioral goal is you tend to have a little more control over behaviors. You may not have control over the outcome. Even if you do the recommended behaviors to reach that outcome, your cholesterol may not come down. Maybe there's another issue is why you're still struggling with weight after exercising and eating a plant-based diet. Um, So it's... It's easier to set a goal and uh, and achieve it if it's something that's within our control, and outcomes aren't always within our control. That doesn't mean we don't want to discuss outcomes. They're best if they're put in with our vision, and as as headed to where we want to go. The other thing they can do, outcomes can be, um, help measure our effectiveness. If weight was, for example, one of our outcome goals, weighing every two weeks can help us determine whether the steps that we're taking are leading us to where we want to go. So that's a better way of using outcomes. So you want to set goals that are behavioral. Set them positive. If I worded a goal that um, I don't want to eat sweets this week or for the next three months I'm not going to eat sweets, that's kind of negative. And it also kind of sets up a little rebellion in me Wording something in the positive helps people connect with it much better. I want to choose substitute fruit for desserts, for refined sweets, um, for 75% of my meals or something like that, much more positive. A three-month time frame is a good time frame to have because it's long enough that you'll see some results in three months. We we see that um, it takes at least three months to actually start a new habit. You'll see measurable results, though, in people's um, blood work, in their weight. When you talk about health behaviors, that's a good time frame. But three months is still short enough that you're not going to sweep it under the rug. It's, it's going to be here before we know it. It's also good for goals to excite you and make you smile. And what I mean by that, it's personally connected to you. It's um, connected to what's important to you, who you are, and it just pulls you. You want to go there. It's not a should. This is something I should do or I have to do. People don't stay very connected with goals like that. But if it's something they want to do, it's heading them into um, moving forward to where, who they want to be. Then they're much more connected. And then also goals should be SMART. How many people are you are familiar with the SMART acronym? It's a couple of you. Let's uh, quickly recap that. What does the S in SMART stand for? Specific. Specific. If I, if somebody says I want to exercise more, that's not too specific, is it? What kind of exercise? How much exercise? We want it to be more specific. People that have goals that are rooted in the SMART language, it kind of creates a bullseye or a target for them, and they're much more ready to, um, more apt to reach it. Measurable is the M. What would be the importance of having a measurable goal? Progress tracking. How am I doing? exactly so being able to measure it in some way quantify it a stands for attainable is it some is it realistic in a time frame that i have is it taken into consideration the resources i have available to me the um, my current situation is it dependent on somebody else to achieve all of that is wrapped up in attainable r stands for relevant you got to care about it. It's got to be relevant to you, not something that somebody else is suggesting, but something that's connected with what's most important to you in your values. Otherwise, you're not going to make it a priority at all. And Then T is time sensitive. It has dates attached to it. Not just the three-month time frame, but even, even more specific dates. I'm going to exercise on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Sometimes it can get that specific at seven in the morning. But the more specific we are, the more apt they are to reach their goals. And this sounds so basic, but very often people will just say, I want to eat better, I want to exercise more, I want to lose weight. They need help transferring that into some concrete, realistic goals that they can start moving towards so that they can reach that that destination. Now, a three-month goal still may not be something that they can do now. A three-month behavioral goal may be something like in three months, I want to be exercising 45 minutes, five days a week at the gym. You even need to make it more specific. I want to be doing a combination of, of cardiovascular and strength training for 45 minutes at the gym, five days a week. We've gotten very specific, it's measurable, it's attainable, to possibly. You've got to check their, their vision, where they're headed, and what's important to them, uh, relevant, and time sensitive. But I can't do that now that you might fall flat on your face face if you start right out trying to go five days a week and you haven't really adjusted your schedule at all to make that happen or any number of other preparatory steps. So what we do as a coach is to help them take now, extrapolate what baby steps can you take, what little smaller action steps can you take to move you towards that bigger goal, that three-month goal for set for yourself. Maybe, I don't even have a membership at the gym yet, And so one of my steps might be to get a gym membership. Or maybe that I can only handle this week going twice a week to the gym. But that's two times more than I've been doing. So that's progress towards um, our goal. So helping them to set action steps, uh, small manageable steps they can put on their calendar or a task list. So they're concrete things that they can do now to move them towards their goal, starting with smaller steps like the little um, steps in the, in the ladder in the little video we watched. Building into bigger steps as they are successful and building their confidence. Aiming for <coughs> forward movement. What is your next step? If we get them moving ever so slightly, they're going to eventually reach their goal. It's that momentum you're trying to get. The inertia of, the, of being stuck is the biggest thing that we're trying to help them overcome. And so even little bits of movement is helpful in moving them forward. Think about um, those of you um, that are used to years ago when um, when we had to push a car to get it started, you know, with a stick shift, jump, start a car. How hard was it to push a car that was in a dead stop? You had to get several people to help to push it because to overcome that inertia of being still. But once it's moving ever so slowly, it's, it's much easier to keep it going. You don't need to push that hard or have as many people pushing with you. When you do work with someone for an action steps, nail it down. Um, of all that we've talked about, what do you want to do? What will you choose to do this week? Um, that's um, going to be the, the question that will help them to identify something that they can begin doing now. You want to help them to set action steps that can be achieved about 60 to 80 percent of the time. They're not going to always achieve them about 100 percent and that's okay. They're making progress and that's a good learning um, lesson as well, just when they come back and recap. How did it go this week? We often think in black and white, well, I didn't make my goal. I didn't, I failed. What percentage? What was your progress? What was your percentage that you accomplished? Because 50% of the time is achievement for somebody that hasn't been doing anything at all. And that gives them hope and it shows them that they are moving forward. If you see um, that they're continually less than 60 to 80%, maybe it's too big. Maybe we need to break it down to even smaller steps or explore what's getting in the way. What are the obstacles they're facing? Gives us an opportunity. have a conversation possibly around one of those teachable moments where they can learn a little bit about um, themselves. If it's always 100 percent, maybe they need to be challenged because that's a problem too. If people get bored, if it's not challenging, they won't maintain their um, health behavior either. Coaching skill number four is your toolbox. Um, in addition to some of the things that we've already talked about with um, your listening skills and your inquiry and helping them create a wellness plan for change, there's going to be so many other strategies that you can pull out of that toolbox, just like our little coach did. And so just building in your repertoire um, ways, activities that you can um, give them to to do in your group settings or one-on-one, asking them questions, visioning with them, helping them consider their environment and how it's supporting their change. Research has so many different things that they've uncovered that helps people be more successful in change. And, and what I just want to motivate us all with is that we need to be more than just um, the keepers of the information. We have wonderful information in our church, but we also want to be experts with regards to change and to be able, like Jesus, to be a master at change and be able to talk with someone and help them connect with the area in their life that they're struggling and maybe possibly um, a solution to help them go around that obstacle. So when you're having a conversation with someone, um, here's just a conversational model that you can use just to give you a little framework when you're talking. It doesn't need to take very long, but it helps you not just go to, so how'd you do last week on your action steps? Uh, but helps that conversation uh, be a little more, um, centered on them and, and more meaningful and helpful for them. It's a conversational structure that's used in a lot of different um, types of coaching and it's made up of four steps, goal, reality check, options, and will. That makes up that GROW ac- acronym. So when you're talking with someone, you can just think, first of all, the goal. And, and that needs to be their goal, not yours. What would make our conversation most helpful? What do you need right now? Where are you stuck? What would you like to talk about? Uh, Let them come up with a goal for the conversation. Reality check. Okay, so the goal is I want to be able to travel across country to visit my daughter. And in the past, I have always managed that long distance trip with Coke and M&Ms. So, but I've been going to CHIP and I don't want to do that. And I'm really worried about how I'm going to get across country and, and not blow everything I've just done. That was a real person came to me with that issue. And so their goal is to be able to get across country and figure out a solution. The next thing is reality check. Look objectively at where they are now. OK, so tell me a little bit about um, what's behind this goal. What has what, what the, the, your past experience been, which they already said. Caffeine and, and sugar gets them across the country. Um, if it's somebody that's having a hard time getting their exercise, tell me what happened last week. Very objective, we don't want to evaluate it or cast judgment, but just exploring with them so they can learn and pull from the past um, experiences. Then we go into options, brainstorming. Okay, so what could we do? What, what are some options for you? And getting them to come up with some options, throwing a few out on the table if you need to for yourself, yourself to get them started, but how can we get from A to B? And um, putting a lot on the table, and then of all that we've, we've talked about, which one are you connecting with? Which one do you think um, would be the one you'd want to start with? What, uh, what could you do? And then moving to what do you want to do? And then what do you choose to do? There's, each one of those is a little different in, in the mindset and thinking. And then ending with the will, um, what are you going to do this week um, to move forward or get you on that trip um, successfully? So what I'd like to do, we've ta- I've talked for a long time and it's now time for you to kind of try on a little bit about of what we've talked about. Before we do, everything I've just said, what questions are coming to your mind or what thoughts would you like to add, experiences you want to share? Where where is your thinking now with regards to some of the coaching skills and the coaching approach you can use with someone? A team approach, and Candy's going to be talking about that tomorrow. That is an absolute um, key to success with health ministry. Is that team approach? Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Well, if we're using coaching in conjunction with our health ministry, a lot of the information has already been given in the health program, so you might not need to give more information. You might need to just ask questions in a way to find out what their understanding already is. Um, Tell me what connected with you most after listening to the program on milk and dairy, or what do you know about um, the benefits of eating breakfast? Kind of find out where they are. If there is a gap in their information, then you might need to Switch hats a little bit and share some information, but then you're going to do it in that way I, I mentioned, where you're going to hand it back to them, put your coaching hat back on, and say, "What are your thoughts with the information I just shared?" Okay. That's true. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to, uh, where we fall in a ditch most often is giving too much information. We do more telling than we do asking. We are great at advice giving and problem solving, and that doesn't that approach doesn't work. So yes, you are going to be very wise in your, in your use and, and you will need at times to help them fill in the gap that they might have in their understanding. Don't assume there's a gap first. Um, check it out. Thank you. They may not even tell you they don't understand protein. They may think they got it. Yeah. yeah, and that's where when we're coaching them, asking questions in a way that helps them process, it helps you identify that there's a gap is important. We do that a lot. It, it almost seems to be our nature. And so I don't want you to go, walk away from here thinking that I am bashing, giving out information. Now, as health professionals too, we're going, those of you that are health professionals, you, they sometimes will come to you for advice and information. And being able to segue between the two, give the information that's needed, but then put that coaching pat back on and find out, Um, their thoughts on that information. How do they see themselves applying it and working? Maybe they've tried it before and they've run into an obstacle. Let's talk about that. Um, It's much better than just telling people what to do, which you've experienced today. Yes? How can they solve it? What? Right. Now very often it's the question you ask that might make them think about it a little differently um, offering a different perspective perhaps to the situation can help them th- think about something or see it in a different light so it's our the coaching conversation is so much more than just asking questions and listening there's a, a lot we bring to it we are bringing our information we are bringing our perspective as a Christian that that Um, embraces this health message, there's a lot we have to offer that we might want to share with them in the conversations and then that gets them thinking a little bit differently about their situation. Sometimes just verbalizing, how many of you process well out loud? You like to talk things out and how many of you those that process out loud um, have come, have um, come to a new understanding while you were talking. It's th- that's what we're getting them to do, is just process. We, we often don't take the time to think about maybe the information that we've just sat and listened to, if they were at a, a health program, and really apply it to, where does this apply to me? How is this relevant to my situation? And so getting them to process and think about it might help them change their thinking. Yeah, when we're dealing with addiction, sometimes it is a little bit different uh, method that we'll use, that they will set a quit date, and then we work work towards that quit date and providing all the tools and information that they need to be successful. Sometimes it does work a little differently with addictions, you're right. We can still use a lot of the same approach, though. We're not just handing them information and hoping that they get it and that they can apply it and make the change. There's a real knowing versus doing gap and so we want to still use that coaching approach, but people with addictions, there, there are some other things to, that certainly factor in. Uh, sure, sure. And Jesus was a master at that, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I think that underscores also the importance of realizing that each person is unique and the, um, their learning styles, their communication styles are part of the package and um, being in tune with what it is they need and how they best communicate is an important part of how we work with them. We're trying to put an awful lot in a small little section. Your biggest takeaway here, I believe, is that we want to complement our traditional hold a program, invite people to come and tell them what to do with an approach that includes a relationship where we're working with them, walking with them, helping them to try these um, new things out in their life. And um, that coaching approach will increase our, our outcomes in our programs. Our people will um, be able to experience that fullness of life that they, that they want and that we want them to enjoy. I want to move past the slide. We're going to come back to it. But I want to move past this and share with you um, where my vision is for seeing coaching and how it can be used in your health ministry. I believe it creates an environment for God to work. If we are not just telling people, but we are offering ourselves as a coach in a relationship with someone else, that tour guide, there's a commitment there that we are wanting their long-term success. We're not just about giving them the information and telling them that they need to change. It's um, an integrated approach where we saw with our three circles, health information, pointing them to God as the change agent. And and then also um, walking alongside of them with change. Coaching is can be used with any kind of a health ministry program. It does not need to be. um, It's not. Doesn't have to be a standalone. It's not separate from or different from. It's just another approach that can be laid on top of anything you do. Whether you're doing a health expo, you can use uh, coaching. Whether you just have. Whether you're having a a cooking class or an eight weeks to wellness or a CHIP program, you can incorporate coaching to help people at whatever stage they're in to be able to move forward in their um, progress towards living healthfully. It's an approach that can be used with all ages, families, small groups, or large groups. A couple of ways um, that you can use coaching is individually or group, which is a question that you asked. How do you see this being utilized? Um, individually, when, in working with people, um, one way that um, I and a number of others have used it is with programs that have some kind of a pre and post screening, like a heart screen with chip, for example. So after they get their results, you can sit down with them and review them individually, going over the numbers, identifying what concerns they have, and then asking about their vision. Where do they see themselves in the future? What are their goals? Uh, why did they sign up for the program? And, and where are they headed? What would they really like? Perhaps helping them to reward those goals as smart goals because they'll be more out to, to reach them if they're um, smart. And then telling them that your church wants to do more than just provide information but provide other tools and long-term support for them in being able to um, reach their goals so they don't have to do it alone. And so uh, assigning them to Um, a a particular table that has staffed with one of your health ministry team members that's trained with with a coaching approach, and after the program presentation, they are meeting with their coach in more small group activities, maybe a group of three, four, five, or six people around that table, taking the concepts that was introduced in the meeting to a little more personal level and, and helping them to go away then with their action steps for the week being able to put into into place some of what they've learned, but not giving a cookie-cutter approach. One person might go away really feeling like they need to um, begin drinking more water, and another person might have a totally different action step, but each person helping them where they're at in reaching the goals that are important to them. Uh, informal conversations uh, before and after meetings, um, any time that um, even before or after a health program itself or any kind of meeting, when someone comes to you sharing a struggle that they're having in a particular area, being able to um, just dialogue with them, not telling them that they need to do this or that, giving advice, fixing it for them, but asking questions and maybe even asking them, would, would you like someone to team up with you? partner with you to help you be um, more successful in reaching this. You really had a lot of challenges in this area. You don't even need to use the word coach. That might be confusing for them. But offering ourselves um, that tour guide along their journey to help them be successful, partnering with them. Um, At a health expo or a health fair, you can have a coaching station at the end. They've gone through all the stations. And now they come with their little check sheet that they've gone through each one. And the, um, going through what what did you learn today going through the health expo? What what piece um, was was new to you? What was your biggest learning? And what was your biggest concern? You know, using some of those same open exploratory questions to get them um, thinking a little bit more. Would you like some personal support in improving your health? And again, a, a extending your, that relationship to them as. Um, one of the tools that will help them be successful. Uh, if you have uh, a health program that goes for a while and then it ends, you can um, use a coaching approach in a follow up contact, calling them up. Hey, we're just checking in with you to see how it's going with you. And then ask about, celebrate with them if they tell you things have been going great. And if if they've had some challenges, empathize and, again, offer some personal support and um, offer to, to contact them again next week and um, use those, that, those skills of inquiry and listening to just help them to be able to um, move towards their next step so they don't just get discouraged and fail out. One of the things in health behavior, when you all traveled here, um, many of you drove. Some of you flew. Let's use the car for an example. If you had a flat tire on your way here, what would you have done? Get out and change it or call AAA. I would have called AAA. But you would have got out and changed it. The point is we fixed it and we got back on the road. A little delayed, but we're on the road. We don't do that with our health. How many times um, I've talked with people, you too, that they have a flat tire on their wellness journey, and they get so discouraged that they just get out and slash the rest of their tires. They give up on the destination altogether. It's not worth it. I can't do it. And so we just want to extend that hope and extending ourselves in helping them to be able to reach their goals. Um, Faith community nurses can use this also when they're working with people one-on-one. And then the group lifestyle coaching model is helping to facilitate a little deeper learning than just the information that's presented. Remember in, in uh, classroom settings, in the business world anyway, they've said that less than 10% of people do anything. There's any measurable change in their behavior after the information is presented. So we want to help them connect with that information on a more personal level to determine what pieces of it was relevant to them and then what do they want to do about it. So you can do that just in your discussions at the end, um, either by breaking up into smaller groups that are led by um, a a coach or a small group facilitator, or even in the big group setting. Won't get as much response, but you can still do it. You can even take a minute for them to write their personal answers on on a a note page so that they are still connecting with what's most important. You can um, then also offer ongoing support. in your CHIP programs, they have alumni events, and you can, we've had um, alumni events that are just focused on coaching, not even any more health information. They got the information already. They're struggling to integrate it into their lifestyle. So we've had like CHIP refresher courses, which is really more about taking what they've already learned and helping them create a plan for change and um, working with them with that way. We've had, um, uh, over the holidays, Thriving the Holidays, which is really not an information-based program, but it was a four-week coaching program to help them get through the holidays successfully and creating a plan and each week reporting back on their plan and, and tweaking it and changing it so that they got through the holidays without gaining weight and without blowing everything that they have um, have been doing. All right, Katja should be here soon, but in the meantime, what I'd like to do is, um, we talked about exercise and where you were at with your exercise. Why don't we just stand up, stretch a little bit, and just move to your takeaway from today. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit